Welcome to another edition of The Raven Narratives. I'm Tom Yoder. And I'm Sarah Severson, and we're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. Today, we're at the beautiful KSJD studios. We're really excited today. We're going to hear some potential stories from new storytellers for our upcoming event, um, October 21st and 22nd. These are folks who have pitched their stories on our website on the contact page, and they have stories to tell. So we hope that you'll be there to enjoy hearing them with us. But the story you're about to hear right now was told by Luke Mihal at our live storytelling event in August when the theme was exposure. Luke Mihal lives in Durango, Colorado. He's the publisher of The Climbing Zine, an independent print publication, and he's the author of three books, American Climber, The Great American Dirtbags, and Climbing Out of Bed. His fourth book, Graduating from College Me, will be released in the fall of 2016. He enjoys climbing, sleeping in tents, hip-hop, yoga, and uninterrupted mornings of writing. He believes in the power of independent media and too soon poetry. Here's Luke's story. So I was going to start this by saying there's two things you need to know about me, that I am a writer and a climber, but Sarah ruined that. Um, So I actually do a lot of public speaking and um, a lot of events and uh, different things for my book. And um, the classic non-climber question for me is, how do you manage that fear, that fear from heights, that innate fear that we are scared of being off the ground? And climbers call it exposure. And my reply to that is that I am more scared of sitting on a couch than I am 2,000 feet of exposure beneath me. And I think this next part um, is going to help explain that. Um, I tried to back out of this actually yesterday. I was <laughs> totally freaking out about it. I do a ton of public speaking, but I never, I never talk about this, this part of my life um, openly. So when I was 20 years old, I was, uh, had a six-month period when I was depressed and suicidal. And I didn't tell anyone about it until my parents. I was living in their basement at the time. Um, depressed. And uh, a lot of people who have these suicidal thoughts, um, they make impulsive decisions. Um, Sometimes they shoot themselves in the head. And uh, what I did was I decided to take off in my car and uh, leave a trail of notes to my parents um, explaining uh, my state of mind. And um, for basically about a month, I traveled the United States from the East Coast to the West Coast, being depressed and um, seeing America really for the first time. And um, the closest I really came to dying was falling asleep at the wheel. I fell, to, fell asleep at the wheel about four times and woke, woke up by those bumps on the side of the road. And by the grace of God, um, I ended up in this place called Gunnison, Colorado. And it was the most beautiful place I had seen in my entire life. And um, I got into climbing there. I got into climbing outdoors. I had started indoor climbing when I lived in Illinois. And I totally fell in love with climbing. And climbing gave me that exact opposite feeling of when I was stuck in my parents' basement and being super depressed and just like every day is like, I don't, I don't want to live. So as a climber, you decide to go to all these places. And I decided um, for my first big summer trip, I would go to Devil's Tower. 
in Wyoming. And it's a weird name for a place that's so beautiful and so sacred. And the most common name I've heard before the white man named it Devil's Tower was Bear's Lodge, which makes sense because it's this 800 foot cylinder. And the, the ancient story is that a bear clawed his way into these cracks. And there's these perfect cracks running 800 feet up this, uh, this rock. So I'm, it's the last day of our trip and I'm climbing, um, I'm climbing a route on Devil's Tower and it's a perfect hand crack. And basically a hand crack means you're jamming your hand into it and you're going up, move after move. And I was about 150 feet into this thing and it was like the hardest thing I'd done in my entire life. And it felt so good. Like every move was just this primal instinct to hang on and like get up this climb. And I got to the belay ledge and I had the most feel- amazing feeling I'd had in my entire life and I still ever had. Um, I looked out and I, uh, I looked at the Wyoming plains and I looked at the blue sky and I smelled those pine trees and I just felt the most alive I'd ever felt and I started crying. And um, my partner, my mentor had led me on uh, a lot of climbs out from Illinois and then all the way out to the west and uh, he's coming up, and he's coming up, and I'm belaying the rope, and uh, I'm just ready to explode with this poetic prose in my head, like, you don't understand how awesome it is to be alive. You don't understand what I went through, and the redemption and everything, and he, get up, he gets up there, and I'm just about to explode, and he goes, God damn it. He's like, my feet hurt so fucking bad. <laughs> And he takes his shoes off, and the worst smell you could possibly imagine in the world comes up. So I'm getting into climbing, and I'm reading, climbing is this salvation for me, married with the most uncomfortable, worst emotions, or worst smells, emotions, uncomfortable. It's this perfect marriage of whenever things get too good with climbing, some sort of suffering and some sort of epic comes in. And then climbing saved my life, and then climbing tried to kill me. The first time climbing tried to kill me was in Devil's Kitchen in the Colorado National Monument near Grand Junction. And uh, I was climbing uh, another hand crack, except this hand crack um, turned out into a roof. So I'm climbing the hand crack, I'm climbing the hand crack, and I'm going into the roof, and I'm so pumped I can't place protection. And if I would have been a smart climber, I would have down climbed back to my protection, weighted the protection and kind of assessed things, but I was still a young climber. And uh, I'm climbing up into this roof more and more and no protection, and I fall. And in an instant, the rope was behind my leg, it flipped me upside down, and I fell 35 feet. And I was hanging about three feet above the ground, and I was looking my belayer in the eye upside down. And I cried. And I hugged my belayer. <laughs> then four months later, climbing tried to kill me again. We had driven all the way out from Gunnison, Colorado with four dudes and a two-person uh, purple Ford truck. <laughs> and uh, instead of, you know, rash, you know, we were eating junk food and we're traveling and we're smoking dope and all these things that, you know, young kids do. And instead of deciding to rest and like scope things out, we decided to get on a climb. It was about a 1,400-foot route, and it was pretty chill. We got passed by some hippie dude who was, like, shirtless and barefoot and without a rope. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) And so 
the most dangerous part of climbing is the rappelling. So after this casual 1,400 foot route or whatever, you have to rappel 1,400 feet. And I really had to poop about 600 feet uh, from the ground. So I'm 600 feet from the ground. I see this fixed rope, and I'm just like, I'm going to go down this fixed rope because I really had to poop. And if I would have been an experienced climber, I would have taken care of the poop in a proper way. But I was not an experienced climber. I get on this fixed rope, and I'm rappelling, and I'm rappelling, and I rappel off the end of the rope. And I'm in a chimney. And my feet are against the chimney, and my back is against the chimney. I didn't fall an inch. 99.9% of climbers die when they rappel off the rope 600 feet off the ground. And I just grabbed the rope right away, and I just had to make an action. And that's the same thing that happened when I fell and cried I got right back on the rock. That was my only instinct. So I can make a lot more sense out of when I was depressed and not wanting to live. You know, I needed exercise. I needed positive things in my life. I needed to get the hell out of the Midwest. (laughs) But I still have never been able to make sense of why when I was feeling so alive that I almost died so many times. And the only really conclusion I can come to is that the instinct is to just get right back on and right back at it. Thanks, Luke, for telling that story. For more from Luke, stick around for the outtake at the end of this podcast. And to hear more stories like this one, subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, where you can also leave comments and share the stories with your friends. If you want to pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives live storytelling event, go to ravennarratives.org and fill out the form on the contact page. You can also see a photo gallery of our storytellers and find out what the themes will be at upcoming events. The Raven Narratives is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. Find out more at ksjd.org. Special thanks goes to our sound engineering wizard, Mike McAllister, for his technical expertise in recording and mixing the Raven narrative stories told at the Sunflower Theater. Support for the Raven Narratives comes from Red Scarf Shots Photography Studio in Durango, Colorado. Find out more at redscarfshots.com. Now for an outtake. <laughs> at this point, it's still kind of just, I guess, it's not really a polished story, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. fine. I mean, um, you, you kind of know the and, Raven Narratives is never really, really polished anyway. It's supposed to have that sort of authentic kind of, you know, telling the story around the campfire feel anyway. Yeah. I mean, I guess so right now, I don't even have, like, the story. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> Maybe it'll happen in the next century. <laughs> <laughs>